Hello and welcome to episode 3 of And How Did That Make You Feel? This podcast is all about normalising, talking about mental health and we're doing that by having a chat with guests about their experiences. Uh, I'm not an expert in any of this and neither are my guests but I know how beneficial it was for me to hear people talking about their own experiences with therapy and that's what we're trying to do here. This episode I'm having a great old chat with my uh, guest Daniel. Uh, make sure you stick around to the end where I share some resources as well as my usual book and pod recommendations. But here we go, here's my chat with Daniel. I am here with uh, my guest for episode three, Daniel. Uh, Daniel, thank you for agreeing to do this. You are my first um, willing volunteer. So thank you very much for that. Um, And Daniel, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, so I am Daniel. Hello, everyone. I am uh, 32. I'm a secondary school teacher. Uh, I teach English. And uh, yeah, I've known Rachel for like a long time now, 14, 15 years through church. Um, so I heard the first couple of episodes of the podcast and or the first episode and text Rachel and was really encouraged by it because obviously I've been through counseling myself. Um, but I wasn't expecting to be a guest this early on the show. I did expect like when I was politely offered Rachel, I kind of assumed it would be one of those, oh, don't worry, I've already got like 17 people lined up. No. Uh, I didn't think I'd be like on so soon. So <laughs> I'm, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I snapped that offer right up as soon as you said, <laughs> oh, if you want me, I'll happily come and do it. I was like, yes, get that booked in. I don't think I said happily. I'm pretty certain I didn't say happily <laughs> if we look back at the text, but that's okay. We'll gloss over that. Well, I read happily in my head and everything <laughs> said it. Um, so yes, let's let's get into it. So when when did you start? When did you have your counselling? Uh, yeah, so I had, I've had counselling, uh, two lots of counselling. One was in and around the end of 2013, 2014, and then last time for me would have been 2018, going into 2019. Mm-hmm. Was that an easy decision, like the first time that you went to counselling, did you think, that, you know, was it a big decision to come to, or did you think, no, I need to do this? Well, for me, both my uh, counselling experiences have been through NHS, mm. um, so I went to my GP first, um, so the first time it was similar symptoms so in 2014 uh, I remember making a list on my phone because I'd noticed things about myself which I thought were quite out of character um, things that I'd been doing um, so stuff like really indecisiveness so I remember one example um, really specific to me I guess is like when I've been out shopping and not knowing my way around the supermarket that I'd usually shop in and trying to work out is there a, like is there a better way to do this is there a more efficient way and it's somewhere I've been like going for years and years and years if you know what I mean mm-hmm. and I just I couldn't follow my own routine um, and then I worked um, for a charity then which meant my working hours were a little bit more flexible um, and that really gave me great difficulty because I would wake up not knowing what to do with my day and sort of try and work out what was going on every minute of the day really mm-hmm. and it was something it was one of the things I really struggled with and then I also developed some issues in and around anger I think I got really angry for for really in my head no reason um and there was just loads of little symptoms like that which to me 
um, added up to something that was a bigger problem. I couldn't put my finger on the reason why one was happening, and it just seemed like all these things were were happening and going on and going on. So, um, yeah, I eventually plugged up the courage to go to my GP, mm-hmm. and I, I turned up at my GP, and it wasn't wasn't my doctor. Um, it was a, a locum doctor, um, but she was lovely and just said, "I think you've uh, I think you've got depression, mm-hmm. or I think you've got some symptoms of depression, and I want to refer you to counselling." Um, and I was really fortunate that the GP I go to have has a counsellor there, and I was able to be seen pretty quickly actually yeah. um, by a counsellor just just for two it was just for two sessions um, but I found that really really helpful that was back in 2014 mm-hmm. um, and then 2018 which is my most recent experience was similar but everything all those symptoms took place over a, a longer period of time so I think over for me like over the course of a few months over the summer I knew something was wrong but the thing that kind of scared me the thing that was different about 2018 to 2014 was that I knew what those symptoms were yeah. and I knew I wasn't well, but I also knew I couldn't do anything about it despite me trying to, yeah. if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, totally. So I know, I thought in 2018, the second time I experienced, I mean, depression is what my uh, GP called it. Um, the second time I experienced that was worse than the first time because yeah. I think I exacerbated it myself because I knew there was something wrong and I knew I couldn't fix it. Yeah. That, that that is exactly something that I have struggled with as well like still is I, I just want to fix it myself like I just want the counsellor to give me a list of things and send me on my way and I come back the next week and like yes I've done all these things and I have fixed it all myself um, but sometimes it definitely takes not sometimes I think it definitely takes a counsellor with the expertise to kind of help you break down that mindset oh, yeah. of you can't fix it yourself well i remember back in in 2014 i remember going to the first session of counseling and i i mean i i was someone and i've, I've heard your other guests talk about this they were really good and you know seeking out counselors themselves kind of thing whereas for me it was um kind of assigned by my gp i had no idea what i was going to mm. i had seen like everyone else i'd seen the um, perceptions of counselors on TV shows like middle-aged men with, you know, sort of, I don't know, tweed jacket type thing. <laughs> and I turned up at my GP and it was a middle-aged man with a tweed jacket oh. <laughs> and a pair of glasses. I was like, oh, all right, okay, that, this is what counseling is like. Um, but he was like, he was great. Don't get me wrong. He, he was a lovely guy. Uh-huh. Um, and it was two sessions. And I guess in hindsight, looking back it was very much kind of like sticking plaster type stuff it was trying to get to the root of the problem um but at the same time i think he was very limited with what he could offer me in terms of time and, mm. and stuff like that so he gave me kind of like one strategy which i'll talk about um a, a bit later mm. um which I, I still kind of think about now but it was i think in hindsight it, it wasn't it was a helpful time those two sessions really helped me um but in hindsight, I think I probably needed a little bit more than what I got. Yeah. But because I think at that time, I wasn't really aware of what was going on in, inside me. I wasn't really aware of the feelings I was having. And I also wasn't aware that in some ways, counseling was more than that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think in some way, I thought maybe that's, you just have two sessions and that's it. Because mm-hmm. that was my only experience. So I didn't really know any better. Yeah, yeah. And so when you went to the, the GP had you had you thought oh they might offer me counseling or did counseling kind of come as a shock as as an offer 
I really hoped I would have counselling oh, okay. because um, I was quite. So I when I did this thing you shouldn't do really, which is googling your symptoms. <laughs> so like I knew I had, a, had depression or like a brain tumor or something like that. Like there was there was something going on that wasn't right, um, and I was quite for no real reason at all. I can't put my finger on why, but I was quite militantly against any sort of medication. Yeah. Um, because I think for me. And I guess this is prevalent in, in in the field I work in, in education. We see a lot of statistics about mental health, and there's all sorts of stuff in Northern Ireland, particularly about the percentage of people who have um, who are like diagnosed with mental health issues, but also are medicated. And I think this part of me, I'm quite a sort of dogmatic person and quite a stubborn person, and there was part of me kind of thinking, I don't want to be in that statistic. Yeah. Um, so I was trying to sort of look at alternative. I wouldn't quite say alternative therapies, but I was kind of thinking of, I want to solve this issue I'm having without medication. Yeah. So I got a gym membership, uh, and I'd never really been to a gym before, but I got a gym membership, so I was doing exercise and doing that really regularly, and I was really hoping that there might be a way of dealing with it without having to medicate. Now, I know that's maybe wrong of me to say that, but it was right for me at that time. That was yeah. my perception at that time. Um, so... So yeah, I went to the went to the counselor, and again was great. But I was I said to him, look, I'm really trying my best with this. I know I'm doing more exercise because I've read up. I think that's supposed to be a really good thing to do. And he kind of looked at me like, well, he, I think he agreed, but um, was kind of looking at me a little bit quizzically. I think more than anything else. And uh, he was really, really, he was a lovely guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talked about so this the strategy I think which worked for me was this idea of. Your, your negative experiences, kind of playing them back in a, a sort of cinema type thing. So you're kind of looking at yourself in this kind of other reality. You are watching yourself back. And I think my big thing was kind of, I was always, I was an overthinker. I am an overthinker yeah. anyway. Um, but I would be sort of catastrophizing everything. Everything mm-hmm. would be a massive deal. And his kind of coping mechanism for me, which really worked for me for a long time, was to play back those memories sort of imagine you're watching in a cinema just with some popcorn and a drink or something just nice and relaxed and kind of ask yourself if it was as bad as you thought it was yeah. or all that kind of stuff and it was such a simple simple thing that anyone could do without counseling yeah um, but i found that really really useful yeah it's so easy to get caught up especially on previous experiences and just they get overblown out of proportion but yeah that's such a good tool of being able to take a step back yeah and it worked it did work really well for me for quite a long time but the other thing just kind of i guess it's this this podcast now is actually the first time i've kind of reflected back on that sort of again doing a similar thing looking back on that and i wonder if maybe that was useful but coupled with that i was also someone who i told uh my family and friends i was having counseling Mm -hmm. and I wonder if in some ways that was, for me, almost as useful as the mm. counselling itself. Like, I hadn't said to them, I hadn't told any of my family and friends that was how I was feeling in terms yeah. of my patterns of behaviour and stuff like that, but I was able to tell them, that this is how I'm feeling, and I'm doing something about it. Yeah. And I think, for me, that was that was probably, in hindsight, that was probably as useful as the sessions themselves. Yeah, definitely. Just because it can... It, I, I find it difficult to put words around how I'm feeling to then be able to say to friends and family, I'm feeling X, Y, and Z. 
Um, but yeah, being able to kind of say, I'm seeing a counselor and it's really helpful um, can definitely break down, you know, a, a bit of that barrier of speaking, speaking to people about it. It's still tough though, isn't it? I remember, I will, I will remember, never forget. Um, I've told my parents, the two times I've had counseling, I've told my parents twice, obviously, and I'd be fairly close to my parents. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I told mom and dad I was having counseling. I'll never forget. It was a Monday night and it was like around Christmas time and I phoned them and I have never experienced before what it feels like to have a like a panic attack, a physical panic attack. I've never experienced that. Yeah. And it was the closest I would imagine that feels like because I was I, I was on the phone and I was hyperventilating. I couldn't get the words out. Oh. And mom, mom and dad were like, like, bless them, they're on the other end of the phone, but they were really panicking, you could tell. And they were like, are you okay? Are you okay? What's wrong? What's wrong? To take your time. Take... And they knew, obviously, something was up because it's not that's not me. It's not the way I usually am. And they were like they were fantastic. They were so good, um, but as I say, it was that that fi- I've never experienced anything mm-hmm. physically like that before. Where I literally couldn't get words out. I couldn't breathe. I was hyperventilating. If I if I hadn't calmed down, I would like I would have passed out. Mm-hmm. And I've never experienced that ever. Yeah. And then was there was there a sense of release then whenever you were able to oh, tell yeah. them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I found it really my that was my first experience in twenty fourteen. Mm-hmm. I found it really useful. Um, my second experience in 2018 was mm. was very different, but also mm. very bad. So the backdrop of that, again, I've been having these similar feelings, and I the, the difference this time was I knew I was sliding into depression and anxiety, and I was trying to do do stuff about it. So my usual go-to would be exercise. I love, I have found a love for running, really, which a lot of it stems from that time, and I wasn't well, and it worked for me. It was a really good mental release and that just wasn't working i tried talking to people like some of my friends that wasn't working and it was it was hard because i felt like in some ways i was living a bit of an alternative reality Mm. i could see i knew something was wrong um but i knew i couldn't fix it Mm -hmm. Uh, and i went to my i went to my gp and he was he was lovely really so understanding um and he said he said to me look i can refer you i will refer you to counseling here but the problem is um, there's a waiting list. Mm. So what I advise you to do is to phone Lifeline. And mm-hmm. uh, now, if anyone doesn't know, Lifeline is a, a charity. It's just here in Northern Ireland. It's definitely here in, in Northern Ireland. It's, it's like a, it's like a, it's a counselling service, but it's primarily for people who are suicidal. That's their first priority. So there was part of me kind of thinking, like, am I that bad that he thinks I need to phone like a suicide <gasps> oh, helpline? Yeah. Uh huh. So I kind of like I kind of took him at his word and thought, right, you know what? I'll like, I'll give it a crack, see what happens. So I phoned them. I remember kind of there was no one else in my house. And I remember phoning them and pacing around the living room as I'm talking to them on the phone. And they they were lovely. They listened to me and all that sort of stuff. You know, couldn't have been any better. But I remember that, um, them telling me what would happen next, which was that they, they would arrange an appointment with me for like someone to basically do a, a more detailed questionnaire of me so that was grand i remember distinctly them saying to me right okay fair enough daniel so that, that's good so um what you're basically telling me is from what i've heard from you that the times when you don't think your life's worth living and i was like whoa yeah. is that is that what is coming is that really is that what i'm putting across because uh-huh. I, I could on like i would honestly say hand on heart like the thought of self-harm or 
ending my own life or anything in that realm had never crossed my mind really like consciously mm-hmm. had never crossed my mind it was not something i'd be thinking about or mm-hmm. ever was aware i was thinking about so to hear someone else say that my answers had led them to the conclusion that that was what i was thinking about yeah actually terrified me mm-hmm. and, I, I, and i mean that very genuinely it was it was one of those sort of things that was like a rabbit in a headlight moment if you know what i mean it was mm-hmm. just the most bonkers thing to hear someone say about you mm. Mm-hmm. um so they said they would arrange six sessions of counseling for me and they would happen kind of quite quite urgently okay which again which again was kind of like all oh, right okay mm-hmm. that's this is not the way i was expecting it to go mm-hmm. but that's that's okay um i assumed it would be like telephone counseling or something like that which we, you know would have been grand but it was six um, in-person counseling sessions and again i remember uh going to mom and dad's house that night we've had this kind of uh, conference thing and just breaking down with them and again like hyperventilating all this kind of stuff and again they were great and said you know it's fine it's no problem blah 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 um but yeah that was a it was it was it was really bizarre as i say because to hear someone say that you are telling them that you don't think your life is worth living was like oh yeah it was it wasn't anything i'd ever experienced before uh-huh. I, do you think did i mean did your gp did he recommend you spoke to lifeline to avoid the waiting list or do you think that he saw that he thought you need to see somebody urgently i don't know rachel to be honest with you oh. um i think part of it was definitely the Honestly, I think part of it was definitely the waiting list. Yeah. But at the same time, to hear like a trained professional tell me that that was what they thought I was showing, mm-hmm. yeah, was really was scary. So maybe it was something I was saying to him, or maybe it was because I'd had a, a history of depression before, and I'd ex- the way I'd explained it. I mean, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I actually found in in because I did actually do some some preparation <laughs> for this podcast, and I have. Um, I know this is no good because we're not recording the video, but I have a list on my... I I wrote out a note on my phone, which was what I was going to say to my doctor Uh that day, the GP, and it was just because I was worried I was going to forget all this stuff. That's kind of because my my brain was really foggy. Yeah. And I was was worried I was going to forget stuff. So it's all stuff I've said, like constant fatigue, Mm -hmm. mood swings, very emotional, Mm -hmm. indecisiveness, Mm -hmm. difficulty processing thoughts, all that kind of stuff. And I wrote like some of the, uh, some of the factors of that, which I thought it was. And I went in with this big speech, I think really, which it worked for me, I guess, but that's that's how conscious I was. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good tip. Like if somebody is thinking of going to see their GP to, yeah, to, to, yeah, absolutely bring in, write it down and bring it in with you. Um, the last the last time when I started seeing my counsellor again this year I I went to the GP because I was going to take some time off work and I was really worried that you know wouldn't take it seriously or wouldn't wouldn't think how wouldn't think how I was feeling merited having time off work or anything but yeah she was if anything it was a bit like you know, yes how long would you like your sick line to be <laughs> you know get in yeah. and get out as soon as possible i wouldn't have sort of conflated what i had with with stress because i yeah. wasn't i knew i wasn't stressed i knew there was nothing like 
work-wise or life-wise in my life I knew it was something different but there is that sort of proud and I, I think you might be somewhat similar where you kind of go and you wouldn't want to go to a doctor and just say oh I'm stressed can yeah. have a week off you know you'd re- you'd have to be almost really really almost last straw type thing yeah. to get uh, to have that conversation <laughs> absolutely and when I went to see see the doctor I wouldn't let her put it down as stress so I I was like, no, no, it's it's my it's anxiety. I don't want it on the sick line to be stress. And probably yeah. a lot of that feeling was, well, it's not. Well, first of all, it wasn't stress, but that kind of I don't want to be seen as, which is my stigma around you know mental oh, health. Totally, yeah. You know, like even totally, though, yeah. even though I'm a big advocate for it, like you still kind of there's still hangovers of stigma that you're still kind of working through. Oh, hundred percent, and. Uh, and I guess some of that is societal and some of that is mm. the way we're brought up and the friends we have and that kind of thing as well. So, I mean, this it's not necessarily a fault. It's its kind of part yeah. of your personality and who you are and stuff like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And do you think, but, um, like, do you think was the whole process of going to the doctor, do you think as a man was that harder to do? Um... Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I haven't really got anything to base it on, to be honest That's... with you. <laughs> 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 that. I know what you mean. I, I think there's a stereotype that men would struggle to go to a doctor for, for any reason. And I think yeah. that probably in my life and the, the men I know, that's probably true. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think for me, it was almost like I went to a doctor because I knew that a, I wasn't feeling myself, but B, I also knew a doctor wouldn't tell anyone else. True. And so, like, I don't think at that's well, no, not I don't think. I know at that stage I wouldn't have opened up to my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt in some ways, in a strange way, the doctor was actually the safest place for me to go to mm-hmm. because I could say anything. Yeah. And they're not going to tell anyone. Yeah, absolutely. You know I mean? so yeah. It was. It was well. That was part. I think that was part of the reason why I went in the first place. Yeah. 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 And so your second round of counselling, um, so was that you obviously didn't see then your GP counsellor again? It was somebody. No. So this was in, um, I think it was in a, a, some offices that are owned by by Lifeline. I went up to the door, and door was locked, um, and sort of buzzed, and like it wasn't any response. Buzzed again. I was kind of like, what on earth is going on here? And then I remember seeing um, this woman came out in a wheelchair. Now, she was very, very obviously physically disabled because it was an electric wheelchair, and she you, you could just tell she had extremely limited mobility. And I remember, like, looking at the door, kind of thinking, oh, I'm not in the right place here. Yeah. And she opened the door, and she said, are you Daniel? I said, yes, that's me. She said, oh, I, I'm Alexandra. I'm your counsellor. Uh-huh. And my first thought was like, oh my goodness, I have completely like misjudged this situation because I thought like I've gone to the wrong place. Yeah. Um, and she, so she was lovely. So she brought me in and uh, she explained, which I kind of guess someone in, maybe in her position she felt she had to, was that um, maybe, well, I was going to say maybe this is too specific, but we're, we're down this road anyway. Yeah. So um, she, uh, she said that she had had a, an accident when she was younger and she was paralyzed from the neck down and um, she felt that counseling was a good job for her because she didn't mm. have to move your hands to counsel. Um, 
and she'd actually been an English teacher, which was my job as well. So it was kind of like, it, it just felt like it was a really nice fit yeah. for me. Um, but yeah, we did this, the first session, there were six sessions, and the first session, I remember, was pretty useless, in my opinion, mm-hmm. as in I just didn't, I didn't really understand not i understood why i was there but i didn't really know the format because she was very good she was like she kind of asked me like well, what do you want to talk about type thing mm-hmm. and i i didn't really know to be honest with you i didn't know yeah. what i wanted to talk about i just remember i said i just want to feel better and then she was asking you know well what is better mm. i just want to feel more myself what is yourself and those kind of questions that you have to ask but they're kind of annoying in some ways yeah. if you know what i mean <laughs> Um, so it was kind of breaking down some of all all that. So I thought the next week I would go, and I thought like I'm going to take control of this. So the next week I went with an agenda. I went with <laughs> like uh, I'd written out like I said to her at the start, right? This is what we're going to do today. This is what we're going to talk about, and started talking, and then like just broke down in tears and just just sobbed for the next hour yeah. and like every time I'm like oh I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'm so sorry and it's like well, you don't need to apologize yeah. that's you know yeah. I don't know what you're apologizing for yeah um, and then that was that, that was the best thing that could happen to me because mm-hmm. it meant that I was able to be much more open mm-hmm. after that mm-hmm. um, and there's one instant I remember uh, which was really bizarre was that well it was it was bizarre at the time I guess it's not looking back on it now but I remember telling her that I had um, I'd lost my wallet. I remember I'd put my wallet somewhere. I'd put it in my car, and I just couldn't find it. And I remember this happened over the weekend before I'd seen her. And I remember telling her about her and just absolutely, like, just sobbing about the fact that I'd lost my wallet. And then I'd found it again. I just remember this being, like, I don't know, just absolutely crying my eyes out talking about losing this wallet. And it wasn't, like, I hadn't, it wasn't sentimental. It wasn't. Mm-hmm anything at all to do with the wallet there was no money in it like it was useless really mm-hmm. but just that idea of losing something and not being able to get it back yes i think that was that was kind of like the almost like the metaphor really for how i was feeling oh yeah and uh, and that was really that was really and also the fact that i could it was something i couldn't control which i hated as well um so yeah that was it was really really it was really useful so i ended up having i think four sessions before christmas and then two after or five and one or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was, I remember thinking by about the end of the fourth or fifth session, maybe the fourth session, I remember thinking like, oh, I've, this is going well, actually. I've, yeah. I've not, I've cracked this, but I remember thinking that it was making me a lot more resilient. Mm. But at the same time, I can't remember anything she said to me. I remember one thing she said to me out of the six weeks, and that was um, thoughts are not facts. Oh, that yeah. Was, uh, which is a classic, classic uh, counselor line, of course. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's the only thing I can remember that she said to me in those whole six weeks. Okay. So, which I know is very different to, like, maybe your experience and some of uh, your other guests' experience as well. I can't, honestly, if the only thing I remember from those six weeks was talking about the the wallet and just crying about everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've, I've been there. Everything. Uh, that's really that's really interesting like i wonder was it just all like so overwhelming maybe that because there's probably i remember there's some things i remember very vividly about especially my first round of counseling um but goodness yeah i must have seen her for 12 weeks maybe 
and yeah i'm probably the same like i can pinpoint maybe three or four specific things um but it's mostly the terrible cups of tea that really has <laughs> yeah, I don't know that. <laughs> has really stayed with me but um yeah that's interesting i mean why like not to sound like a counselor but why i mean why do you think that you don't remember any or much of it um i think some of it i probably intentionally blocked out from being honest yeah. in terms of as with any counselor there are difficult conversations about yourself about other people about situations mm-hmm. uh, that i think i probably feel a i've got under control now mm-hmm. and b I feel more comfortable with them just being not, I mean, not put in a box. I don't think that necessarily sounds very healthy, but I I know what those memories are and I know they're very specific to me and I know they're not going to do me any harm, if that makes sense. Mm, Yeah, definitely. Um, So I just, I don't see the point in reliving those. I think that's maybe one reason I don't remember. Mm -hmm. I think another reason as well is because I was in hindsight in such an emotional and vulnerable state that, I probably don't remember a lot of what was happening at any point of my life in that, in that time, <laughs> yes. to be honest with you. Yes, yes, um, I, uh-huh, I, I can relate. And for uh, what's really interesting, for me, I guess, which might be different to some of your other guests, is that uh, for me, none of my issues were work-related. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved I loved going to work. I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved going to work, and it was really, really flipping difficult. Like, it wasn't uh, my... My school is not an easy school to work in, mm-hmm. um, but it was. I loved that. I loved going to school. I didn't feel any of my symptoms in school. I felt like I was able to perform well um, and still do a really good job. Um, that didn't feel like my performance or anything was enhan- was um, like harmed in any way um, at school. It was just as soon as I left school, it was kind of like oh. Yeah. This is not good. This is, this is not good. So I know one of the things they, the counselor said, for example, was kind of like, you know, do you feel well enough to work? And I remember my snap answer was, oh, absolutely. Like, do not take that away from me. You cannot take that away because I think that's the thing that's keeping me together at the minute. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, very similar. The first couple of rounds of counselling, like, yeah, had no... Probably the same, like, kept me going during the day and then it would be... Uh, you know other things outside of work would trigger me but um this this year um so i started having i'd never had any kind of physical anxiety symptoms before i'd had one bad anxiety attack um but i'd never had any real like physical symptoms and in about january time i started noticing at really weird times that i would just feel like i couldn't breathe but it would be when I was really relaxed or whenever it happened to me loads when I was driving. So I'd just be driving okay. along and I'd be like, ah, I, can't, I can't breathe. And, and so at that point it was like, oh, I think this is anxiety. I should probably um, go, you know, try and get booked in with my counselor. Um, but like, that was a big thing for me to deal with that it was job related. Because I feel like, and this is my own, issue and stigma of well I'm dead you know of course I can go to my work of course I'm you know of course I'm well enough to go to my work it's just anxiety yeah. <laughs> um but it took like oh jeepers like yeah it took took things getting really really bad 
before I finally finally was like, I, I can't go into the office and be on the verge of tears all no. the time. Um, I need to take some time off. But yeah, it's you know it's 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 interesting that sometimes work can be the thing that is really keeping you together, but then also. Yeah. It can be and that's the thing I think even from this podcast Rachel this is coming out listening to the, the first two mm. is that like there's been so everyone has such different experiences of counselling yes. and even even the reasons for going and, and all that kind of stuff I find it really I find it really fascinating now um, it's not I wouldn't say I like I'm maybe not as proactive as you in terms of talking about counselling like I, I have no issue talking about it but I don't think it's something I would be as upfront with as you are perhaps mm-hmm. um, but I do I don't mind talking about it because I know it was useful for me and yeah. I know it was really helpful um, and I recognize the difference it's made yeah um, whereas I know for some people I know lots of people who have had counseling and maybe it hasn't had as much yeah. of an impact as it has for me so I'm kind of mindful of that as well mm-hmm. that um, for me it's uh, I wouldn't like to say solution because I know, you know, there might be other things around the corner and all that, and I'm, you know, all that kind of stuff. But for me, it did feel like a solution. Mm. It felt like it worked for me, mm-hmm. um, and I know that's not everyone's experience. Yeah, that that can be tricky. Can't like because I'm the same. I've had friends who haven't had particularly positive experiences with it, and it's it's hard for me to, to try and make sure that I'm balanced when I'm talking to them about it of not just being like well it really worked for me so why hasn't it really worked totally, for yeah. you um, yeah. and sometimes I think that can there can be a bit of like it not being the right time for somebody yeah. to um, definitely I mean stuff I was speaking to my counsellor about this today actually like the stuff that we're working through at the minute I would not have been able to work through it even even you know in January 2020 never mind a couple of years ago like sometimes it's 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 just not the right time and no. it's maybe it's maybe something that you could people could come back to in the future and maybe have a more positive experience or there's so many like different disciplines within counseling and therapy um, like I did a wee bit of CBT, but it didn't really do anything for me. Um, you know, there's 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 other kind of disciplines that that can work for other people as well. Um, and just thinking about your your second round of counselling, you know, I'm always I'm always kind of curious to know about the actual practical setup about it, um, and about the space that you're in. I suppose the setting can be helpful to put you at your ease and those kind of things, but also it's not the be all and end all, you know. No, no, no. Um, and for me, it was really, it was, as I say, it was, it was a great. I don't know how I would have felt actually going into that space. And again, this is just thinking about this right now. I've never mm-hmm. thought about this before. I don't know how I would have felt going into that space if there was other people about because it looked like it was perhaps uh, like maybe lifelines offices maybe with a couple of rooms that were set aside for counseling yeah and when i was going in after school in an evening there was no one else around just myself and, and the counselor mm-hmm. um whether i would have felt as comfortable walking in if there was someone at reception and then mm. other people milling about in the kitchen it's like i don't i don't know mm, i don't yeah. know yeah like again more barriers to kind of get over of 
having to speak to the receptionist and and potentially yeah yeah definitely and i know you've kind of said that you don't remember much from those sessions but was there anything at all that you kind of apart from um thoughts aren't facts was there anything else um one thing that's kind of stuck with me and now this is I don't know if this maybe this wasn't even strictly in the session but when she was introducing herself she was talking to me and she was telling me all about kind of herself and what she does and one thing she said to me was um if you if you see me on the street I will never acknowledge you I was like that's really rude it's like it's really out of order but then she went on to explain which I'd never thought about was that um obviously if you're with someone you might not want them to know that I'm your counsellor or that you're getting counselling and equally if I'm with someone I might not want them to know that you're my patient mm-hmm. and I'd never I, I don't think she said patient I think she said client actually yeah. but I'd never that had never crossed my mind before mm-hmm. and it kind of that because I am naturally an overthinker that then put me into this not a negative spiral but a spiral of like um well, do I want to tell people about this counselling? Mm. Or what? How? How would I react if I saw her on the street? And bearing in mind, as I said previously, my counsellor um, was paralysed in a wheelchair. She's very obviously. She would perhaps provoke more of a question from people I was with as to how do you know this person yeah. than if it was just someone someone walking down the street. So I don't know if it's if that was unique to her and her situation, or if that's a fairly standard yeah. counsellor garb. But it, yeah, it did make me kind of think it. it I think it was in some ways it was useful because it provoked a question within me of well, like how would I react if that or if I was if I was with someone would mm. I say I'm having counselling would I not so that little simple thing which I guess I, I even though it's my second round of counselling I don't remember my first counsellor ever saying anything like that to mm. me because I think I'd remember that mm-hmm. um, so I found that really useful and maybe even for someone listening who's thinking about counselling those kind of little pieces of information are maybe things that people don't tell you if that makes sense yeah yeah, those kind of very practical things of, yeah, you don't have to worry, especially if if you're seeing a counsellor that's you know works in the same town as you, and you're thinking, oh goodness, well I couldn't I couldn't go to see them because what if we bumped into each other in Tesco's, yeah, and they shouted really loudly, how's your depression yeah, yeah. going? <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so hope I mean a, a counsellor should always at the beginning be like talking you through those kind of things but you're right it's not like it's some of those practical things that are that could be a, a big barrier for somebody oh yeah, yeah totally and it's, i think some of the work i do in in schools in terms of my my job in schools um i would always try and explain counseling to someone in its barest bones as like telling someone something and knowing that unless you're in danger or unless someone else is in danger they're not going to tell anyone else mm-hmm. um and that, maybe that's just the explanation I give to teenagers, but I think in its truest form, that's kind of what counselling has been for me, being able to yeah. share stuff, which I know there is no way um, she is going to tell or they are going to tell anyone else. Yeah. And there's no judgment either. No. So it's, no. It, you're right. It is It is such a safe space to go and talk about whatever you need to talk about without worrying about them. <clears throat> or yeah who who else is going to hear about this from somewhere else or um oh i can't i can't tell somebody how i'm feeling because they'll think i'm ridiculous yeah absolutely and 
it's great that people have I know and again I know this has been mentioned on previous episodes that uh, people have been able to talk to their family and friends and that that is really fantastic um, but I know when I was feeling at my lowest um, as much as I know I know my family and friends or you know certain friends and my family wouldn't have judged me at mm-hmm. all there'd be no judgment whatsoever um, to me I know I still needed that outside perspective I needed someone who I could like absolutely guarantee wouldn't say anything yeah i don't think any of my friends or family would have done anything maliciously they're not you know that way minded but at the same time i think there always would have been that shred of doubt just because of the way i was feeling at that time there would have been that shred of doubt in my head of but what if they do Mm -hmm. say or what if they accidentally say or what if they allude to something yeah whereas i know i just knew that wasn't going to happen with a counselor and for me that's what made it such a valuable experience yes definitely like that's that guaranteed like security is so important with you know in the counseling kind of room so to speak that you know that anything that you say isn't yeah isn't going to go any further um can be really freeing for for somebody you know to kind of release whatever they need to to, to speak about and know that that's it's, it's really safe space Definitely. Would you have any kind of any advice for somebody who's thinking about, um, about going to counselling and feels like there are barriers in their way or anything? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. It's actually one. It's a question I've thought about in terms of because I, I kind of had a fair idea to ask. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, the more I thought about it, the more like I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, because, as you've said, there's so many different types of counselling. I think, um, for me, just given my experiences, for me, the best for, the best place for, to start for me would have been was always the GP because um, I thought that was for me that was the easiest yeah. avenue. I guess for me, my advice would be to to to, to try it really mm. um, because there are so many facilities, particularly here in Northern Ireland, there's so many facilities that. The likes of Lifeline to me was was phenomenal. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Um, it's completely free. You phone again. It's it's a safe space to phone um, as well. So it's not like you're having to pay money for something you don't know what's going to happen. If yeah. that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know, you're it's free there. It's available for you. And all it was explained to me that everyone who's there is a is a fully trained professional counsellor on the other end of the phone mm-hmm. um, so it's people who are able to talk to you and you know it's a great great service um, so that was one thing I guess I would I would recommend if you're not sure if counselling is for you then this, you know the likes of Lifeline here in Northern Ireland I think was was fantastic and it was so helpful to me um, and I, like I say even just seeing a GP but I th- in some ways I think starting the process particularly for men I think in some ways starting the process is the most difficult thing well, yeah um, it's taking that first step and I work as I said before I, I'm, a, I'm a teacher I work with teenagers in my school and I'm really encouraged actually to see so many teenagers are a lot more open about their mental health and yeah. even my and I don't think I'm I don't like to think I'm particularly old but like in <laughs> there is a generational gap obviously between me and the, the kids in my school yeah. and there is no way in like our generation we people would have been so open about mental health at schools and stuff like that so i think it's amazing that people are Mm. but um part of that incumbent on the rest of us on the kind of older generation is to make sure that we are 
we're following through and you know checking up on ourselves because it's it's very easy to give advice when you don't know what you're advising if that makes sense like i know i could advise i could advise counseling now because yes. i've been through it and I, I love the fact actually that i can say to the kids in my school have you tried counseling i've had it mm-hmm. and i found it i found it really beneficial mm-hmm. and um i've never talked about the reasons why and all that kind yeah. of stuff but i just you know i've I, I can explain as I said before it's just it's someone sitting in a room listening to you and they won't tell anyone else unless obviously you're in danger or something like that mm-hmm. um, and even having that knowledge is something which I have found professionally but also personally really useful mm. and it's not something I would have got without going through the process yeah. so I guess it's a lot of rambling but I guess my advice for anyone would just be to, to give it a go yeah no I I agree. And I think just as you're talking there about in your teaching kind of capacity of being able to say to people's like, I cannot imagine any of my teachers, like form teachers or, you know, teachers that I had good relationships with or being open to, to, to kind of talking about mental health or even being as open and, and vulnerable as that. And I think that's, it's so good to know that there's teachers like you who are, modeling that for pupils to then you know say that well yeah we can talk about these kind of things and well i know from i know from obviously you doing this podcast and stuff it's obviously something you're passionate about i don't know about you but i find the whole process for me of having mental health issues and then talking about it mm. has been incredibly useful in kind of almost help like helping other people in terms of i, I think i'm more attuned to spotting things and other people mm-hmm. i'm obviously not an expert in any way mm-hmm. so don't get me wrong i'm not an expert no no real training but it's funny how i think it's it's easier to spot little traits in someone i think oh i've done that i remember doing that yeah. i wonder if and it sort of helps for my job anyway it helps me keep an eye on some of the kids who might not always present themselves in terms of of behaviors in school but there might be something i see in them and think oh that that resonates with me it could mm-hmm. be like a little mood change or it could be a like suddenly they're you know gone very quiet or something i i find that really that's for me it's been actually a benefit if you like yeah. of um and i i think sometimes mental health as with any sickness illness is it's always perceived as a very negative thing mm-hmm. whereas for me i feel it's really benefited me mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like i feel a much better person today yeah. uh two years further down the line because of the counselling, and like I feel like my life is in a some like much better place now. Um, mm-hmm. Not just because of counselling, but because of everything I experienced. I don't think yeah. I would be the person I am today, and have the opportunities, and also be as sort of open to talk about it. But also to just my whole personality, I feel a lot more calmer. I feel mm-hmm. a lot more relaxed and settled. And I, I don't think I would have experienced that without going through mental health difficulties and then counselling. Yeah. So that's that's one of the reasons, kind of like you, I feel very open about talking about it because i think in a really and maybe this is just unique to me i don't know but i i think it's really benefited me mm-hmm. to go through that process yeah no i 100 percent agree 100 percent. like when i look back on um because like my current counselor is always encouraging me to like reflect reflect on your progress or reflect on the change um and to be able to to look at who I was in my kind of late 20s before I had any kind of, men- well, I probably did have mental health issues, but 
wasn't kind of willing to do anything about it um to where i am now i definitely agree like much more i don't know if well-rounded personality is the is the right but i definitely feel like some of my sharper edges have been <laughs> you've probably borne the brunt of my sharper edges <laughs> before. i don't think i've been too bad but i've definitely seen them first time yeah. <laughs> like yeah i'm definitely um a more mellow <laughs> more mellow version of myself but it's also that whole uh we talk about in schools a lot that growth mindset mm. mindset where um i think i think in some ways the education system or I don't know, society or whatever, I think it predisposes us to think about ourselves in that fixed mindset and that you're either good at something or bad at something. Yeah. And you're you're sick or you're healthy, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You've you've got mental health issues, you don't. Whereas for me, thinking about my life even in terms of that whole growth mindset thing, I think I appreciate now that success in any field, whether it's feeling healthy, whether it is success in whatever field that you're working in, or whether it's just relationships or whatever it's it's down to practice it's down to trial and error it's down to making mistakes it's all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff and sometimes factors that are well beyond your control as well yeah and i think that whole growth mindset attitude i think i've tried to adopt that a bit more in my own life now so kind of thinking well you know what things aren't going to go your way all the time mm-hmm. uh, and you are going to get things wrong and actually you might feel a bit crap at times as well mm-hmm. and that's that's okay because mm-hmm. that will help you further down the line to either feel better or to do something about it or to use that experience and think next time it comes up, oh, I'm going to do that differently. So for me, it was kind of that. And that's not something I think I was necessarily taught in counseling. I think that's something I kind of read literature on and kind of figured out myself and have Mm -hmm. adopted myself. Um, But it's certainly something I think that's really helped me cope with with pressure and cope with change because Mm -hmm. I realized that I don't see the counseling and the mental health issues as a negative thing. I see them as part of me and they've, they've helped me become the person I am and they will continue to help me yeah. um, because I can look back on that experience kind of fondly and think, um, yeah, that was really beneficial. And why was that beneficial? Because I was able to talk more and I was able to be a bit more open and think about myself and then take those lessons yeah. into things. So and I, I think, again, that's another reason why I think this was, this whole podcast is such a great venture because it is, we think about counseling almost as a treatment, don't we? Mm. Generally, I think. Whereas, and it can be, absolutely, it's a very, very valuable treatment, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also be something which um, can just allow you to learn so much more about yourself, which can, it's not just fixing, what I mean is it's not just fixing a problem or changing one thing. It can, if you let it, it can change your entire mindset. It can yes. change the way you look at yourself as well, yeah. which I think is what makes it so valuable. Absolutely, it ripples out into, you know, into all kind of aspects of your your life and your personality and your relationships and your interactions it has an impact kind of across the board really doesn't it um, absolutely yeah yeah so i suppose um my last question we've got to that point um so how how did that make you feel the last kind of 45 minutes or so that we've been talking um uh, yeah good because i would say it's the first time i've articulated mm about what counseling means to me mm-hmm. i think um and i think there's something really valuable in in that as well Definitely. Uh, so yeah no it's, it's it's felt really good and i guess it's also i like the idea that me talking about something personal that's happened to me could help 
somewhere else yes. as well yeah um, so no very good very yeah. good thank you well thank you so much for um being the first volunteer guest um if anybody else would like to volunteer to come on the only daniel thought he wouldn't pass the vetting criteria but the only criteria is um a willingness to talk about um yeah. therapy experience um yeah and, and the only criteria is that you have rachel's number or <laughs> on instagram or something like that <laughs> Yes, please follow us along on Instagram on at and how did that and come and say hello. Um, drop me a voice note on there. They are my favourite. Um, but Daniel, thank you so much for, yeah, I really appreciate your vulnerability that you've shared with us. And as you say, I think really beneficial for everyone that listens. Um, you know, some of the stuff that we've been talked about has been, yeah, really, really good. So thank you so much. No worries. some really practical um advice from daniel there um i recommended a couple of people about writing down how you're feeling before you go to either speak to your gp or your counselor um i thought that was really really good advice um yeah really enjoyed chatting to daniel about his experiences um he mentioned lifeline which is a northern ireland um crisis phone line that you can phone 24 7 uh, and i just thought it would be good to share the phone number in case anybody does want to give them a phone and it's 0808 808 8000 but i'll put that in the description box of the podcast and all those other kind of places but my book and pod recommendations um, in the last week I have had some new shelves put into my spare room where I keep all my books and when I took all my books down I purposefully mixed them up because I thought I'd really enjoy re-alphabetizing these and I did, I did really enjoy it until I had them all in and then discovered a big pile of authors with the beginning with the letter B that were hiding on my windowsill and had to then somehow find some space for them but anyway when I was putting my books back in and I was thinking about a book to recommend, maybe something scary because we're getting into Halloween. And I think the scariest book I've read, um, or it certainly scared the absolute crap out of me when I read it, was The Road by Cormac McCarthy. And it was, no, it was maybe, goodness, it could be 10 years ago that I read it, but it was it scared me so much that I had to I started reading it one night and had to finish I had to read it in one sitting because it was I was so scared I was like I have to finish this <laughs> otherwise I'm not going to be able to sleep so if you want a good um kind of thrillery it's not ghosty or anything like that but it definitely um definitely thriller um I can recommend that so the road Cormac McCarthy uh, podcast I've been really enjoying um, is a podcast called God Only Knows and when somebody asks me for podcast recommendations I always recommend this podcast and specifically an episode the final episode of season one um, where the guest is Paddy Kilty and brilliant episode so the whole kind of idea behind the podcast is um, celebrity guests are killed off and then they go up in the elevator up to heaven and they meet the host Matt who 
I am pals with. So um, even if I wasn't biased, um, I would still say this is a really good podcast. But they go up um, in the heavenly elevator and they get to ask three questions of God. So it's a comedy podcast, but also it um, they have really good, deep, thought-provoking conversations as well as telling some jokes along the way. So definitely recommend the Paddy Kitty episode. He tells the best sporting anecdote I think I've ever heard. Um, and I'll not give it away, but I tell it quite regularly because I don't have a lot of sporting anecdotes, so I have I have to steal somebody else's. Um, and so this there's Matt has just released his second season. Um, so far been really good episodes. Uh, Hugh Dennis from Outnumbered. Um, comedian Rosie Jones. She had a great episode. So definitely check out those two seasons. Um, God only knows it's very good. Um. So as I'm coming to the end, I'm just mindful that end of this episode, I'm mindful that if you're in Northern Ireland, we are we are in it now. We are back in lockdown, the sequel or the remix or lockdown 2.0, whatever way we want to try and make it sound a little bit better than what it is. We're back in it. So if you're like me and about 24 hours into it, the the lockdown fog has already hit. Um yeah just mind yourselves um be gentle to yourself if you're somewhere in england that has reached the um the high heights of tier three or tier two or things have changed um you know be kind to yourself be kind to each other um and yeah episode four of the pod will be coming in the next few weeks bye how did that make you feel how did that make you feel how did it make you feel with Rachel Power?